Good morning, or whatever time of day it is for you. I hope it's great. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Reality Roots Podcast with me, your host, Hillary. This week is going to be a little bit different, I think. I'm kind of going into it, um, I don't know, just from a different angle. I feel like I don't know, it feels like a whole new podcast today. <laughs> it feels like my very first time somehow. It's just a bit different. I picked an episode because it looked like something I wanted to watch. <laughs> I didn't really base my choice on... I mean, I never really mm, think too much about my approach before I watch it. Obviously, I had not seen it yet, but anyway, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I want to watch that. I don't know if it's going to be funny. And guess what? It wasn't funny, (laughs) but it was interesting. And I do feel inspired to talk about it. So we just might not have as many laughs this week. That's all. It's also a little bit out of mm, what I kind of see as our target years (laughs) or our target era of talk shows. It's from 2004. So that's a little bit, a little bit later. But you know what? When you think about it, 2005 was almost 20 years ago, which kind of makes me want to throw up. (laughs) But in this case, 20 years ago, oh my God, guys, I graduated from high school in 2005. So this is all very concerning. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I was happy that I picked it I was happy to watch it like I said I think there is a lot to talk about here I'm just not sure how funny it is it's definitely there's not a lot to make fun of that's for sure the episode I'm talking about is Montel see how I just threw caution to the wind remember when I was like I'm gonna go in a consistent order and then I was like lol joking (laughs) no I'm not and then I kind of was like, well, I could be back on track. No, whatever. I just, I wanted to watch Montel this week. So I did get into it. (laughs) I also see like, I don't really have as many notes. I just, I didn't take as many like verbatim notes this week because, uh, basically there's three stories we're going to talk about. The title of the episode is could you forgive? So it's three very difficult to forgive type of situations. And, I think secondhand storytelling is kind of where I shine, (laughs) so I kind of purposely didn't take as many notes because I felt like it might be better just uh, talking off the top of my head, so let's find out if that's true. (laughs) Like I said, it's like I feel like... I feel like I'm brand new podcasting again this week. Although, guys, you guys, this is episode 20, and I don't know why that feels like a milestone, but it feels like a milestone. So have yourself a cupcake today uh, in celebration (laughs) for me. (laughs) Thank you. That is all I ask. So let's get into it. I guess I'm excited guys. Montel has in his opening sort of credits, it kind of reminded me of the Ricky Lake one, which was sort of a montage piece together. It wasn't as bad as the Ricky Lake one though. It was just like Montel has such a great face. <laughs> so it's mostly like shots of Montel's face, <laughs> like faces that he's given in like over the years episodes. But also there were some words kind of splashed across the 
page and I wanted the page. Oh my God, the screen. And I wanted to see, or I wanted to take a note of what those were. Cause I wanted to know what, like, I imagine in a boardroom somewhere, they were like, what are the key words or like, what are the, I'm sure there's, I'm not in marketing. I'm sure there's a better word for it, but like, what are our key points that we want to represent? Core values, I guess, core values of the Montel show. And this is what they came up with. Compassion, commitment, truth, dedication. I liked it. It was good. They're not even, I don't know, they're kind of not empty words. I guess, I, I don't know. They are the core value words of Montel, I think. Well chosen. Montel is really handsome. I'll just put that out there again. He has such a handsome face. I've always felt that way, even from when I first saw him when I was probably like seven or eight years old. So the first story that he brings us is actually a continuation of a previous story. So he says, well, he says last year, it did date the thing is 2005, but it was like January 2005 so I don't know I guess this episode might be 2006 but for some reason I thought it was 2005 I don't know 05 to 06 but in January 05 Montel had these three girls on his show their father had been imprisoned for like sexually assaulting them but it was under false allegations. So this, I guess the year, so at this point it was 10 years and seven months, I think that he was incarcerated. So say he'd been in there for about nine years, I guess, when they'd been on the show and they were, I don't know if the youngest, I don't know, I mean, they're probably like early twenties, maybe late teens. Like one of them was pregnant and two of them like in the current day, current day the more recent show two one of them was pregnant and the other two already had kids then again going back and watching these things I see that a lot of people have kids very early so that's not a great marker but I don't know they looked and timeline wise it makes sense that they would be in their 20s when they were children I guess their parents got divorced and their mother perpetrated parental alienation against their father and I don't know convinced or like coerced her daughters into falsely testifying against their father saying that he and his girlfriend had sexually assaulted them which is horrible like that is a horrible thing to do obviously I mean I don't know it's like it's hard to even fathom like the girls talk about how they were forced to lie in court. They were forced to like they were forced to sit in a room full of people and tell them that they were raped by their father and his girlfriend. And if that is not a traumatic event, I don't know what is. <laughs> There's a lot of trauma in this episode. That's one for sure. The girls obviously have a lot of guilt. Just a quick PSA. I really don't want to like get into the makeup and the clothes of it all this time normally normally I do enjoy that I just did want to mention that one of the girls has like a she has eyeliner in her waterline around her entire eyeball and just a quick PSA don't do that (laughs) please that's all 
Um, we kind of got a flashback to their first appearance on the show. It was really sad. Like, it was heartbreaking. They said that they were made to write papers about, like, their happiest childhood memories and then turn those stories into sick things that their father did. Like, that's not true. So just change them into lies. It's worse than just making things up. And then they were told to memorize, like they were told, they were forced to memorize them so that they could not just memorize it, but like, I don't know, they were coached, obviously, to like memorize it and to perform it, you know, quote unquote, correctly in court uh, so as to be convincing. They said, like now in the present more recent I keep saying present but it's like 18 years ago so it's not really present but um the more recent show the current show that I'm recapping uh they say well like from the last time we got a lot of response we got a lot of offers to help us and their dad was released from prison I really wanted more information I guess on that process because the problem with the penal system or one of them as I understand it, is that if you're convicted of something and then after the conviction, evidence comes out to really prove that you could not have done it, the only way to really win an appeal, it's not on the basis of the new evidence. You have to find a fault in the in the in your trial like you have to find a mistake that somebody made somewhere now hopefully that would be like not doing due diligence or like not doing enough research I guess if there's other evidence that wasn't uncovered but you would really have to show that someone was very neglectful in not finding that evidence or not presenting it it's very difficult and even so like I don't know what the terms of his release are I'm very glad that he was released but it does say that And we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but he is out, but he's on parole. Like, it's not like, it's not like they came and they said, oh, you know what? (laughs) We really shouldn't have convicted you uh, because now your daughters are saying that you didn't do it. Oops, oops, sorry, you can go now. Like, it's not that easy, obviously, because he's on parole and it says later that he does have to still register as a sex offender which is still stupid because he didn't do anything. (laughs) It's very aggravating. Anyway, uh, he served 10 years and seven months for this. And they, the girls still, they say that they still feel guilty, even now that he's been released. And Montel asks them, when you ask your dad for forgiveness, what does he say? And the one girl tells us that he says, there's nothing to forgive. Like, like, very genuinely, he's like, you don't, I don't feel like I need to forgive you. I don't blame you for any of this. I mean, they were all, it's the mom, right? Like, they were, all of them, including the daughters, victims of parental alienation. Like, they're, they were children at the time, maybe now they're in their 20s, but at the time they were minors, and it's it's not their fault like I I don't believe that it's their fault I'm very glad that their dad feels that way too it's still difficult like I don't know it's still difficult so now that now they all have kids but I think 
they, uh, the way they said that, I don't know. I don't, I think one of them's pregnant and the other two have kids already. Um, obviously he, the father missed the birth of all his grandchildren to date. Montel asks the girls, what is it like having him back in your life? And this was a very, I don't know, I thought it was a very truthful answer. They were like, it's good, but it's awkward. Like, what do you say? Like, we did stay in touch while he was in jail, but like, there's times where you feel like you have nothing to say or it's like too much to say. I feel that, I can't imagine with your dad. I'm, <laughs> I feel that way even with friends, like friends that I haven't talked to, say in five years. And then you see them and you're, it's like, what's happened? And you're like, oh my God way too much <laughs> to explain in any amount of time that we have available. <laughs> like, um, and then you kind of like, it's almost hard to say anything because you can't really say anything without like the context of the previous five years. It's hard. Like it's hard to rebuild a relationship. And then especially with your dad and under these weird circumstances, like it's, it's true. It probably is awkward. Uh, they do also say that they've had no contact with their mother and they do not care to ever talk to her again, which is absolutely valid. She sounds like a monster. And later, again, kind of in passing, like we don't get into it, but we do hear later. I think it's the, when the dad comes out, he says something like, oh yeah, like once they were in foster care, you know, they started to reach out or I was able to communicate with them from prison so I guess they went into foster care at some point, but the, again, the details of that are not really clear. Now Montel asks, oh Montel, oh, he's just such a great person to handle these difficult conversations, I feel like. Anyway, he asks his audience, okay, like he's like, oh, if my child were to go to school and lie on me, imagine this. Ugh, cause like caused me to go to prison for 10 years how many of you in the audience could forgive them and there's one woman in the audience lifts her hand right away not really anybody else <laughs> at least not that quickly there's a commercial and then Montel goes over to this lady and talks to her and she's like he's like really like really like that's that's tough and she's like She's like, yeah, of course I'd forgive him. <laughs> and Montel goes into like a prison mic description of Jell, where he's like, really? Like you're in jail and people are beating on you and people, you have to fight for survival and everyone's up in your grill and there's dementors and it's horrible. <laughs> like, he didn't go as far as the dementors of prison mic, but it was that. It was like a big tangent of describing jail and gel and he's like all that and you'd still you would you would forgive your son and she's like it's my son <laughs> and I don't know it I it made me think like I guess there's something that's kind of been going around on TikTok I don't TikTok so <laughs> other people who TikTok found or saw it and told me about it and I guess Dr. Phil has interviewed this boy who doesn't think he needs anything from his mom because he's I guess like an influencer or something he's like my mom doesn't even have any followers like what would she do for me <laughs> like why do I need her if she doesn't even have any followers how is that even how could she even help me at all and Dr. Phil's like it's your mom just talk to her and he's like what would we even talk about and Dr. Phil's like 
it's your mom. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It was very that. Like, the audience was just like, yeah, it's my son. What, like, what could come between us? Like, of course I would forgive him. And truly, like, as a mom, if there's one person in the whole world you can forgive, it's your son or your kid. I feel that. I'm going to try not to cry while I'm talking. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's emotional. These are big things. Montel, again, I think it's very honest. He's like, you know, I think I'd want to do the same thing. Oh, but it would take a little bit more than just like walking out of jail and saying, oh, I forgive you. Like we'd have to have a lot of conversations about what happened, which is also, I think, a valid feeling. I mean, you don't know how you would feel unless you're in that situation, but that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, 10 years, guys, like 10 years, that's a long time to be in jail for something you didn't do and you didn't do anything wrong. That's, that's horrifying. Uh, Montel, oh, the dad comes out. Montel asks him, ugh, again, just another horrific thought. Montel's like, you had to sit in court and listen to your children testify against you saying that you raped them. That's like, what is that like? And the dad, whose name is Howard, by the way, he's like, it was pretty bad. <laughs> I don't know what you, what do you want him to say? Like some of the testimony was really disgusting. Uh, he tells us he got 10 to life for each of the three girls. So that's like a minimum of 30 years. I guess they put it to run consecutive and not concurrent. Uh, Howard says he's like it, it just it felt unreal like a dream and Montel kind of says what we're all thinking he's like and we know what happens to child molesters in prison right like it's not it's not good this I found really interesting Howard it's just just an interesting perspective I think that I've never heard not that I've gone out of my way to hear it but I don't I'm, I haven't really heard this before Howard says that it was really hard at the beginning. He was like, I got it from both sides, like inmates and guards, and they were pretty rough. But over time, from like my attitude and the way that I carried myself, they eased up. And he says that they're pretty good at knowing who's guilty and who's not guilty, which makes sense, but I hadn't, I guess I hadn't considered that. Like, you know, I don't know. I guess that's good that there is room for nuance in jail. And then also I think like, I probably I don't know about the inmates, but anyway, generally the population that was near him found that again, like, okay, his attitude and the way he carried himself, but then also, you know, his daughters recanted all of their stories within like two weeks of the trial, and they started visiting him and calling and writing letters, and I guess kind of based on all that together, like people were like, okay, he's probably not. Um, an actual child molester. Uh, Howard, yeah, I don't know. Howard's like, yeah, it was rough. <laughs> it was pretty rough. But he says he knew the truth would eventually come out. Thanks to Montel. <laughs> I'm glad Montel. I'm glad. Like, if you think about it, he would still be in jail, maybe, if those girls hadn't gone on Montel the year before this. I won't, ugh, It's scary to think how many people are in the same situation. Howard, like, I don't know, they're talking about, yeah, again, how it was in jail. Howard's like, you know, I haven't, he's like, I've explained some of it to them, but some is hard to explain, and they don't need to know about all that. Like, they also went through a rough time, 
I went through a prison that was decent. Like he wasn't in. I've heard the jail, the jail that Josh Duggar's in is really bad, and that makes me overjoyed to be honest because I do believe Josh Duggar is soups guilty and disgusting. So I hope that he is in a hole. That sucks, but it sounds like Howard wasn't in a bad prison. I guess like, it's crazy. I don't know. He 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 feels like the girls went through as much or more than what he did which also makes sense it's like a prison in your mind right of being like oh my god like I fucked over my dad for 10 years or like an increasing amount of time I guess while it was happening I'm a monster like who would do that to their own dad there would just be so much guilt you just you I don't know how you get over that trauma in your head but I I understand what he's saying it is I mean, it's also bad to be in prison. <laughs> They're both bad, but I don't know how we say which one is worse than the other. They're both horrific. Howard gets the opportunity. I'm not crying. Yet. I don't know. I'm trying not to cry. But uh, he looks at his daughters and he says to them directly, I don't blame you at all. I never did. You know I love you guys. And I was crying when I was watching it. That's <laughs> true. There's a clinical psychologist in the audience and at Montel's behest, she chimes in to say this is a really perfect example of how it's actually easier to forgive other people oftentimes than it is to forgive ourselves. And I was like, whoa, that's deep. <laughs> that is deep. Um, Montel, yeah, Montel says kind of the same. He's like, yeah, they were serving that 10 year sentence just as much as he was. And he would have done 20 years for them. Like, if that's what it would have taken because he loves them. I don't... I guess just because it was double 10. Again, he did get a minimum of 30 years, so I don't know. Montel reminds us that some people would find this unforgivable. At, like, he's looking at the daughter <laughs> who we just told. <laughs> like, you have to forgive yourself. It's harder to forgive other people than yourself, whatever. And then Montel, like, looks her dead in the face and he's like, you know, some people would find this really unforgivable. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we needed to tell her that in this moment. Okay, we're done with that first story. So we don't have to be sad about that one. We have two more stories to be sad about. Next, we meet a woman whose husband was beat to death by a stranger. I guess the story is they have friends over one night. They noticed a house party down the street and they knew that their neighbor who lived in that house was out of town. So her husband asked his friends and they all went over to check it out. Now, I want to be really careful here. I don't want to sound like I'm victim blaming. What happened to this man was terrible and unjustified and not at all okay under any circumstances. As a PSA, I will say that if you find yourself in a situation like this, just call the cops. You don't have to be like a hero and, you know, do everything yourself. Just call the cops. <laughs> if you see something not right, call the cops. You don't have to intervene and put yourself in danger. And this is exactly why. We hear that her husband was a promising lawyer, an avid skier, an international triathloner. I just made that word up. He did triathlons internationally, around the world, and he was a father of two. When him and his friends got to the house, I guess they got separated, he ended up in a 
bedroom. I can just call the cops, guys. Anyway, he ended up in a bedroom where someone punched him in the head. And then someone, I don't know if it was the same person, kicked him four times in the head. And he died on the floor. And it, was, it took them, I think, like four or five years to arrest the person who did it. It sounds horrible. Like, he, I think they kind of retell the story in a second, but like, it's, that's bad. <laughs> that really is bad. She says, you know, they talk about when the person was arrested. She says she wasn't angry. She was relieved and she was overcome by how many emotions she had, but also the absence of anger that she didn't feel angry really about this or anger towards the murderer. And I don't know, it made me think of one of, so Anders Brevik, one of his, I'm assuming you guys all know who it is, he murdered a bunch of kids for like, I don't know why, political reasons, I guess. Anyway, it was bad. He's in jail. And I believe that was, I literally did, I'm literally going 100% off memory. I think they, I think that's in Sweden, if I recall. And he, like Sweden, Sweden has more of a rehabilitative prison system, which I do think is overall a good thing. Anders Brevik, though, is like a monster, so it's kind of hard to, you know, I don't know, justify that in your mind, I guess, for a lot of people, that he's not going to face the death penalty for murdering, I could be wrong, I want. I think it was over 10, like, teenagers, and yeah, it's, it. you know, you hear something like that, and you're like, no, that guy should just be shot in the head, but that is not the system that exists in Sweden mostly for good reason this makes it kind of hard to swallow I guess anyway I did I do recall seeing an interview with one of the parents of the children who was killed by Anders Brevik and the might have been in a a Michael Moore documentary I could be oh my gosh I'm just talking out of my ass now sorry half of this might be wrong but the point (laughs) the point that I'm trying to make is that this father of one of Brevik's victims was being interviewed and they said, you know, wouldn't you, don't you want to see him die? Like he took your kid's life. He took that away from you. Don't you feel like you want him to be killed? Like, wouldn't that bring you peace? And the dad was like, he seemed kind of unemotional about it, but he was like, how would that help? Like, that's not going to bring my son back. Like, that's not going to make me any happy. Or it's not going to, it's not going to fix the hole in my life that has been left by my son leaving. It's probably just going to cause more pain. Like, murder doesn't solve murder. It doesn't make anything better. So no, I don't think I would feel better. I would just feel sad for other people who maybe care about that person who now have also lost their person. So that's kind of how I see it, which is incredible like that's that's why I can I remembered that kind of from memory because it I've just always felt like that's a very incredible perspective I don't know how many people would have that oh I'm crying again sorry um anyway Katie here's the wife she's the one talking and again I don't want to get too much into this aspect of it but her blouse is terrible like it's brown and it has these spirals on it 
I wrote that the spirals are about the size of a toonie. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make sense to anyone outside of Canada. But anyway, it was just, it was a really hideous, hideous blouse. Very brave woman. Very hideous blouse. Montel also was like, what the fuck? Like, how the fuck <laughs> would you not feel anchored towards that person? She says that just after it happened, it was morning. Oh my God, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna cry again. Uh, her five-year-old kids came down and she told them that daddy had gone to heaven. And one of them looked at her and said, I want some Cheerios because they're not even five yet and they have no concept of death or no idea of what that means oh my god I'm gonna cry (laughs) actually crying I'm sorry it's very upsetting but she just says she had kind of she describes it I interpreted it kind of as a a pivotal moment of clarity where she was like I had to choose in that moment who I wanted to be and what I wanted for our lives and I did not want to make our lives about his death which she did, I don't know, she did kind of end up doing in a way, but at least in that moment, she was like, at least, I don't know, it was, it's about being consumed with anger and grief, I guess, that she was like, I don't want this to consume me. And that is brave and that is good. So they talk again about what happened. I guess there were like 200 kids at this house party. Montel feels this is educational for the teens in his audience, I guess, to go through this. But he kind of makes it sound like the party was the problem I don't it sounds like I don't know what the I don't know it sounds to me like Montel's like see if you go to a house party bad things can happen and I was like yeah that's true but I think to me like from my own perspective I think the real problem was just being a teenager not being able to see around corners and you know, you see people in movies like hitting each other, punching or kicking or whatever, and then the person gets back up. But in reality, that, you know, one punch can have life altering consequences. One kick can change your whole life and the other person's whole life. It is not a quick thing or a a consequence-free action in any state. And I... Yeah, I just, I don't know, again, I don't know if the partying was the problem so much as, you know, just the mm, teenage inability or unawareness of real world consequences of violence like that. I guess the police investigation wasn't really great. Like there weren't a lot of, not that it wasn't great, it was slow, I guess. There were not a lot of witness reports that were reliable because everyone was drunk and on drugs. Eventually, the police went undercover to get the info they need, and it took five years for all this to happen and for them to make an arrest. This all happened in Squamish, BC, which is in Canada, which is where I am. I I looked up the town. I guess it's got a, um, just shy of 20,000 people. That makes sense to me. Like, I have heard of Squamish, but I know I think it's kind of a remote type of place in the mountains. I'm trying to put it kind of into my own. That's about like four or five times bigger than the town that I grew up in. So it's big enough. 
I, I mean, I know the town I grew up in was tiny, so maybe that's, I don't know, that's just my own frame of reference, but it's not a, it's not a huge place. It's just, I don't know, it can be hard. I think policing in those types of areas, it's very like close knit. I do understand why it took so much time. They told her before they were going to arrest him that they had found the person and the arrest was going to happen and she wanted to be there so she could talk to him. Eventually he was convicted of manslaughter. But anyway, when she met him, she recognized, she was like, oh, this is, you're a human. Like, you're not a monster. You're a human being. And anyway, I guess they, so they showed him a video of her explaining kind of her experience and what she'd gone through over the past years in losing her husband in this way. And he cried like it did affected him and he wanted to have a meeting and she wanted to have a meeting and she said he was really depressed like it it affected him too of course right carrying around with this guilt he was talking about suicide he wasn't healing because he couldn't face it like he hadn't said it so she had a conversation with him and she was like listen you have to say what you did so that you can start healing it's the only way that you're ever gonna even start to get past this if you just plead guilty don't put us through a whole trial. I will stand behind you the whole way if you can just do that for us. Which he did. He confessed right away. And he was, like I said, he was convicted. He got a five-year sentence for manslaughter. She was already, at this point, I guess, speaking in schools about her husband's death. Again, I don't know if that, to me, it's not that. I mean, she's, she can do what she wants and if she finds value in it, or if anyone finds value in it, I think that's great. I I just, it sounds again like she's said she was speaking in schools about unchaperoned house parties and drugs and alcohol. And again, I'm just not sure if that's like the core, core, core problem. It's not great. I mean, I don't think, I don't think alcohol, and you know, I think that's going to make your, your foresight or your ability to see around corners even worse. So I understand that that's definitely part of the problem. I don't know if it, I, who knows, I shouldn't say this at all. I just feel like if it was me, my message would be more focused on thinking through your actions and especially when it comes to violence. A year after he went to jail, she went in. She says it was, I think later she says there's like this restorative justice program or something like that where they will facilitate a mediation I guess or they'll set it up with a mediator so that you could like both sides can have some healing which is great they talked for a whole day they both got a lot out of it and then he was able to start working with her and also speak at these high school assembly events which is a lot you know very impactful for the audience I'm really glad that this lady got peace. I'm not 100% sure if every situation would turn out this way with the mediator. I don't know if every killer is as remorseful as this person is. Again, this was, it was, I think, manslaughter. I think that's a reasonable charge. I don't think he purposely meant to kill the guy. And obviously he felt really bad about it. And then we see kind of some of their speech. Like, their speech at, I don't know, it's like a clip of them speaking at a high school. Now we come back, well, we come back from commercial. I didn't tell you guys we went on commercial, but there was a commercial there. 
when we get back from that commercial, Montel's like, no, this one's a trip. <laughs> it's like, what a weird, I don't know, it was a weird thing to say. So we meet the girl first, Megan. One night, Megan was in the car with her mom. There, I just have question marks all over this story, by the way. So don't, don't think that I'm telling you this thinking that any of it really makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Megan was in the car with her mom and they'd been fighting and she told her mom that she was, she was like a very typical teenager. <laughs> she was like, I hate you. I don't even want to be part of your life. And then her mom picked something up and said, this is what you wanted and heard a loud pop. And the mom had shot herself. So the daughter called the police and days later she was told by the police that her mom had told them that it was Megan that shot her. The Megan says that her mom still tells people that it was Megan that shot her. And we kind of get into the trauma. It's, it seems very clear that it's like a double trauma, which is horrifying. Again, horrifying is how I would describe most of this. She has the trauma of her like being in the car when her mom shot herself. And then... I think that's compounded by the extra, the, like the additional second subsequent trauma of being blamed for it or feeling like she's being blamed for it when she did not do it. That is very tough. They walk through the night to like Montel and Megan talk through the night of what happened. Megan does describe her mom as having a lot of mood swings I mean, Megan at the time was 15, so I'm sure she was having a lot of mood swings too. No hate, just that's a normal time to have a lot of mood swings in your development. The fight started, the fight they had that night was started because her mom was trying to get her into a bar, like Megan. Her mom was trying, Megan's mom was trying to get Megan into a bar and they wouldn't let her in. So she had some kind of big argument with the bar. Montel read my mind and asked the right question which was like why is mom trying to bring her 15 year old to a bar which is it is a very good question I don't know if it's a question for Megan I wish he would have asked mom that because I don't know Megan doesn't I don't think have the capacity to know she says it was about karaoke like she's like oh they had a karaoke night and my mom was thinking I could listen to music while she drank again big question mark Anyway, they didn't let her in. They did say try at a different bar, which, like, a specific, they were like, oh, go try it down the street at that bar, but I guess that bar didn't have karaoke, I guess. Anyway, they just drove home. But they were arguing in the car the whole way. Again, don't know why, because it's not Megan's fault that the bar, very rightly, didn't let a 15-year-old in. That's, I don't even know why you'd try. Anyway, they were pulling up to their house, like, uh, on their way home, and... As also, okay, Megan, I have to say this because we kind of talk about it in a bit, but um, Megan's body language is very closed. Like, she's almost, like, crouched in a ball, like, in on herself. She looks traumatized. Like, she looks like she's struggling still. She's not, like, it's different because this is only a year out. The other lady who lost her husband speaks with a lot of confidence and obviously she's doing public speaking and she's talked through this many times so it makes sense that she would kind of speak with more confidence and authority but Megan just really isn't there yet which is fair because she's only 16 
as they were pulling up, her mom was like, you wanted this and shot herself. And then the car went into a tree. Megan got out of the car and saw her mom on the ground with a gun in her hand. Now, she thought the cops were gonna she she thought the cops were gonna tell her that her mom was dead, but actually she was fine somehow. Like she was conscious at the scene. Like kind of not all the time, like reliably, but I I think that can happen quite. It depends on the type of gun. I don't know. It depends on a lot of things. But her mom was like conscious at the scene when the cops got there. Two days after this, the cops came back to Megan and said that, you know, your mom is telling us that you shot her. Montel asks Megan what, you know, what was your first thought? And Megan was like, why? Like, I don't know why she would do this. I would have been there for her for anything. Like, she's crying. It's very upsetting. It's upsetting. It's upsetting. (laughs) Cops cops like went after Megan like they tested her for gunpowder residue which there was none they made her take a polygraph test which she passed so she is telling the truth and once she did those I guess the cops were like yeah I don't think you did it and the mom is just been like well I don't know what happened but I don't think I could have shot myself and there's only one other person in the car so that is blaming her daughter in a roundabout way Montel asks Megan if her mom He's like, if your mom comes out right now and apologizes and admits that she did it or like she shot herself, would you forgive her? And Megan, of course, she's like, of course, no questions. Of course I would. Like, it's just very sad and sad in a whole other way, right? Where it's like, it's almost like the first lady where she's like, it's your kid. Where Megan's like, it's my mom. Like, of course I would forgive her. What else could I do? It's, it's terrible. Megan looks very vulnerable. Uh, the mom, Cheryl, comes out. Montel looks pissed, and I understand why, <laughs> for sure. He's obviously on Megan's side, and Megan really needs someone to be on her side, so that's good for Montel. She, uh, he asks Cheryl right away what Megan has to be forgiven for. Like, what did she do that she has to be forgiven for? And this is completely confusing to me. Cheryl says that she's like, there was a restraining order put against me, a custody case put on me. Like, what kind of mother would I be if I didn't fight for her? Didn't understand any of that. Restraining order, I guess. Custody case, makes sense. Even not about the shooting, but for trying to get her into a bar, I feel like that might raise some questions with CPS what kind of mother would I be if I didn't fight for her? I don't understand that at all. Like, because she fought the restraining order in the custody case? I don't think that's what Megan's upset about. Like, I don't even know why we're talking about that. Montel, I guess probably just to not get caught up in the weeds of what the fuck that's about. He's like, yeah, I got, I gotcha, I gotcha. But one of the things is you don't have any memory of that night after the gunshot, but you do have memory of everything about your relationship before that. And there were lots, there was lots of arguing on both sides, right? Not just her, but you too. And Cheryl's like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) What? Cheryl, what the fuck? Montel's like, so why does it keep coming up? Like, why not? If people ask you what happened, just say, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Instead of saying, oh, I don't know, some crazy person shot me, which kind of implies it was your daughter because you were the only two people there. (laughs) Cheryl's like, 
No, I don't have recollection of the night. I don't remember pulling the trigger. Doesn't mean I'm blaming her though. But I was like, okay, but when you say that, you're tacitly saying she did it because there's only two of you there. So think about how she feels listening to you when you're telling other people, well, I don't think I would have shot myself. So I don't know who did it, but it was only me and Megan. Like logically you're saying Megan shot me. And Cheryl's like, no. I disagree. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just disagreeing with the point. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Like that's the same thing. Cheryl talks about what her psychologist told her. I don't know. She's like, well, I'm the adult, so I'm responsible no matter what, but I don't remember what happened and I'm not going to say that I do. And Montel's like, okay, well then next time someone asks you, you can say we were in the car. I got shot. They tested Megan, no gunshot residue, so it wasn't her. You can still be honest, but just say, I don't know, but Megan didn't do it. And Cheryl's like, my daughter wouldn't shoot me. And Montel's like, she didn't shoot you. <laughs> like, it's not about what or wouldn't. She didn't. They tested her, so she didn't. Cheryl's like, okay. Oh my god. <laughs> Cheryl is so aggravating. I want to punch her. No, I just said don't punch people, but... You know what I mean? It's just very aggravating to talk to people like this. Okay, I guess I will. T- I'm going to step back for one second and say that Cheryl might have some, like, it seems obvious to say she might have had a traumatic brain injury because she got shot in the head, for sure, no matter what happened. But I don't, I, it sounds like maybe she wasn't firing on all cylinders even before the shooting. I don't know. I don't think it helped. Mattel's like, okay, I got you. I got what your psychologist is saying, but she's 16. And Cheryl's like, well, she's 16 now. She was only 15 at the time. Okay, great point on the opposite side of what you're selling us. Montel tells her, she, he's like, you just, you have to validate this for her. Like she's 16. She's not equipped with all the tools emotionally to be able to discern all the subtle nuances of what mom says. You have to say it super clearly. My daughter did not shoot me. And she says, like, she looks at Megan. It's just weird how close Montel has to put the dots together for her. But she's like, like, anyway, she's looks at Megan and she's like, my daughter did not shoot me to Megan. And then they hug. And this last little section, I don't know. I guess it was sort of presented at the beginning. They were like, that Cheryl, I don't know, traumatized Megan and then is now also trying to break up Megan's marriage. But that was sort of floated as like a coming up next and then we didn't hear about the marriage at all. And then we met them and it turns out that Megan's 16 and apparently now we have to talk about the fact that she's married. <laughs> Montel's like, okay, well, we got past that and I got to talk about this. I know people are going to, he's like, come at me. I know people are going to be mad, but... I got to talk about this marriage. Um, Megan's husband is in the audience. It's hard to call some, it's hard to call a teenager a husband. Like, I guess it's legal, but I don't believe in it. <laughs> so I don't know if it's, it's not recognized by the church of me. Montel tells them both that their marriage is doomed <laughs> because Megan went to him looking for love that was missing from mom. And you're just like, you're way too young to be married, which is very true. Like, again, I'm sure I said this on a previous episode, but your brain doesn't even start stop developing until you're like in your mid-20s. So you're not even halfway baked yet. Children, don't make commitments now. <laughs> it's not the time. 
Montel, I don't know, he's going to set them up with a therapist. And he's like, you know, through that therapy, maybe the relationship will become stronger, might fall apart. But either way, at the end of it, we want Megan to be a whole person. That should be the goal, right? Great. I hope he found them that therapist and I hope that they stuck with it. Montel tells mom to butt out, basically, of the marriage. And he says he's going to get a therapist for, like... So we're going to set up two therapists, I hope, two separate ones. A family therapist for Megan and her mom. And, like, a marriage counseling type therapy, possibly, for Megan and her husband. And we come back. We go to a commercial and we come back and Montel's like, that one at a time. But it kind of goes back to... Well, I guess you weren't out of time because he's like, just really quickly, like to the husband, quote unquote husband, you know, do you want to spend your life with someone who only looks at the ground, who has this kind of body language? Or do you want to be with someone who's confident and can carry their own? Of course, you want to be with like, again, a, a whole person. Megan has to get past all of this, this double trauma that her mom has perpetrated on her. And become a complete person and that is the only way forward and then he's like I'm out of time and me Hillary I'm out of notes so <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this week's episode I know it was a little bit different but I did enjoy talking about this I do think it's really interesting um, to have these conversations I know it wasn't a barrel of laughs but I enjoyed it and I enjoyed talking about it and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can find me on Facebook at Reality Roots Pod, which is a profile, or you can send me an email to realityrootspod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a quick little minute and you could rate and or review and or subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, that would really go a long way to helping me out. And thank you so, 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 so much if you've already done that. I am full of appreciation for all of you and I hope that you all have a good week. Goodbye. Okay,